I love the vibe of that, don't you? Such a different uh, feel from the un- Stranger Things one with all the scary angel statues. Uh, and by the way, Kyle Westmoreland, who we just called out, along with Brendan Schmidt, who I think is up in the balcony right now, these are the guys that put these kinds of packages together for us every week. Uh, and so I love the title packages. I also love this series that we're in. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, this Ride the Air series, we're, we're looking at these counterintuitive truths, these principles that help us live life in a different and more fulfilling way. And what I continue to just love about these concepts that we're exploring each week is that, is that there's this truth that maybe some people have gotten, but we have deeper access uh, through God's word to what these truths mean. So for example, the first week, we looked at how most people live lives trying to protect their identity and their life at all costs. Uh, and, and a few people, some people, have recognized that in fact, if you're willing to live sacrificially, if you're willing to let your identity die, greater life comes through on the other side. But, but we actually have access to why that is. That, that works because there's a God who died to bring each and every one of us to life. Or last week, uh, Dion Garrett was talking about gaining by losing and and generosity. And and again, that most people function with this very protectionistic, you got to cling to what you have, protect your wealth, your time, your your security at all costs. And some people have figured out that if if you're willing to live open-handedly, if you're willing to be generous with your time uh, and your money and and your life, that, that it brings bounty in new ways. But we know why that is. It's because there's a God who has been so generous with his love for us that that it's brought so much bounty in our own lives. I love this series. And today we're going to unpack what I think is yet another one of these truths, which is this concept of honest living. The idea of confession. Now, confession is a pretty bad word these days. Uh, Just to give you a few examples, uh, if you go online, not now, after the service, you go online and you Google, don't talk to cops. The very first video you will find is a lecture at a law school by two legal experts, a defense attorney and a former police officer, who spend 45 minutes explaining why you should never, ever, ever talk to a police officer, ever. You shouldn't say anything to them. And for 45 minutes, they're going to explain why. And I tell you, it will blow your mind. It blew mine. Like just seeing the arguments that they made that even a police officer was making. Just one snippet is they bring up the, for example, you all have heard of the Miranda speech, right? Anyone who's seen primetime late night television knows the Miranda speech. Every, every cop show ever has it. It says you have the right to remain silent. It says anything you say can and will be used against you. You know what the Miranda speech doesn't say? Anything you say can and will be used to prove your innocence because it can't. Legally, the things you say can only be used against you. They cannot be used for you by the way our laws work in this country. Right, and you hear that, you just go, what, really, is that true? And, and so a police officer himself, a defense attorney, when they're talking to an entire school of law students, they say, never, ever say anything to a police officer because it's only going to get you in trouble. Or you think about our, our, our governmental leaders these days where they've learned that the, the best way to, to get through life is deny, deny, deny everything. Because the people who are in the other tribe are going to assume you did it no matter what. And the people that are in your tribe are going to defend you against them as long as you don't put any fuel on the fire. And so no matter which side you're on, whatever happens, just deny, deny, deny. Because as long as you don't admit to anything, uh, the gridlock stays and people just keep fighting against each other and and you can get off scot-free. Let's make it real personal for a second. Think about every argument 
you've ever had with someone that you love or value. And they come at you with a complaint and they say, well, you never, ever do the dishes. And that's probably true. It's true for me. I never do the dishes. But if I admit that, if if I confess that truth, then I've conceded the high ground. Then I'm going to lose the argument. So I don't admit that I never do the dishes. What I say is, well, you never walk the dog and I didn't want the dog anyway. Right? And we attack and we attack and we attack because if you ever actually confess, you'll lose. This is the ethic that I think most of us live our lives by. Yes, we can profess with our lips. I profess with my lips that there's right and wrong and you got to be honest and you got to have integrity. We, we, we say all that, but, but if I'm really honest with myself, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't live like that. And we can see hopefully why this is a problem. If you can't trust your police or the legal system so that you won't say anything to the police, we won't live in a society with justice. If, if we uh, teach our politicians and leaders that as long as they deny things, we're going to give them a pass as long as they're in our tribe, then we won't live in a place where we have wise and kind and noble leaders because we never hold them accountable. And if, if we go through our interactions and our conflicts with each other, the people that we value most in our lives, with a refusal to actually concede anything, then we're not going to have meaningful and, and, and worthwhile relationships. We're going to have just more people that we're antagonistic and hostile toward. We've got to do something different. We've got to, to re-understand what confession as, a, as an ethos, as a principle of living life could possibly look like. And we might even need to take a very bold step of turning ourselves in, not just waiting until we get caught. And so we're going to be looking at Psalm 32 today. This is one of the penitential psalms where King David is talking about uh, something. We don't even know what he did, but, but he did something bad, and he's talking about it in the psalm to the Lord. And where I want us to start as we look at this, I want to look at the first verse of the psalm and the last verse of the psalm, because I, I don't think that any of us are really excited about this idea of turning ourselves in. I'm not. But look at what David says and how he starts and ends the psalm. The very first verse, David says this, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. What joy for those people. And then after 10 verses of talking about confession and and his sin, he closes this way. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All you who obey him, shout for joy. All you whose hearts are pure. See, this concept of confession is not something about right or wrong or whether we're going to live upright, perfect lives or not. David's saying that what matters about this is joy. That if we can understand this rightly, if we can understand this concept of confession and turning ourselves in, joy is the end goal. Joy is where we want to be. And I don't know about you, I want joy. I've known people who have joy, who live these lives, and, and, and every time I see it, I get a glimpse of it, my heart yearns for it. And hopefully you've known someone like that too. Or maybe you've just had a moment where you got to experience a taste of joy. And in case it's been a while for you, I want to remind you of what joy can be. Uh, I want to show you just a glimpse of this guy, Tom. And Tom has just had the best day of his life. And now it's the next morning, and Tom is walking to work. And even his walk to work is different because of the joy that he has. Watch Tom. What I want, you got, it might be hard. 
Don't you want that? I would love to live that way. Yeah, like this, this, this is what I would love to live. And, and here's the thing, I have to believe that that's available to us, that, that there's a way to have that kind of a joy in our life. We don't have to go through beat down and broken all the time, that, that we could have that picture. So why don't we? Why do we have a lack of joy in our lives? And, and I've just, I asked myself that question, so hopefully one of these answers maybe connects with you. Maybe it's because of, of stress, or, or the bad relationships that we have, or maybe we have an unfulfilling job that's keeping us from joy, or maybe there's, there's poor health, or, or not enough money, not enough time. The stinking Rams are eight and one in Los Angeles, <laughs> just to spite people in St. Louis. Or maybe it's just negative circumstances in general. I, there are so many possible reasons why we lack joy in our life. But as I was looking at this, reflecting on this, and looking at David's wise words from Psalm 32, here's what what I propose to you today. None of these are the reason why we have a lack of joy. These things, as real as they are, are all symptoms of our lack of joy. These are not the cause. They are the symptom. This is the real cause for why I think we have a lack of joy in our lives. And that's very counterintuitive. Not probably what you would predict. It's not what I would have predicted either, except that I'm looking at what King David had to say about his connection with joy and, and why he lacked it and why he didn't have it. So, so this isn't just uh, you know, something I'm kind of making up to be weird. This is something that, that David said. So I want us to think about this today, that maybe secrecy is the thing that's keeping us from having lives of joy. So let's go to the text. So this is what David continues. So like I said, he started out with this picture of joy. Now he continues on. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. See, this this guilt is the big word. I think guilt is the thing that keeps us from joy. And the way I try to not have guilt in my life is by not doing anything wrong that would make me need to feel guilty. And it doesn't work because we can't actually avoid doing things wrong. We can't avoid messing up. And and so the guilt is going to be, if our, if our strategy is to be so perfect uh, and so, and live a life that's so good that we don't need to have guilt, it's a strategy that's doomed to fail. And it's not the picture that David paints. See, the way he gets rid of guilt is by, is by laying it out to the Lord, is by confessing and sharing it before God. See, confession for him is the path to deeper joy. And as long as he didn't do it, as long as he resisted confession, his bones wore down. He groaned all day long. His strength evaporated. It was the very secrecy of keeping things to himself that was, that was what sapped him from joy in his life. 
But let's really look at this. Let's go back to the, to the first verse that we start with here. See, this is what David is saying. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. This is the only way to eliminate guilt from your life. Complete honesty. And I love the way it's phrased in the NLT because I think this is so huge because it's not just saying confess your sins. If you grew up like I did in a traditional church, these kinds of psalms are just taken as, well, just admit all the sins that you've done and, and then get forgiven and then move on. And, and yet that's not what David's saying. He's saying that, but he's saying so much more. He's saying complete honesty. Complete honesty about everything in your life, not just sins, but how about fears? How about hopes and dreams and desires? How about being completely honest about every aspect of your life, not just the confessing the sins, but all the things that are going on? And if we did this, David says we would have joy. So let's unpack what it looks like to, to live a life of complete honesty. See, to have complete honesty, you've got to start with, you've got to have complete honesty with ourselves. Maybe you think that sounds easy. I'm going to tell you that's the hardest one for me. That is so difficult. Uh, the Arbinger Institute, which is a company that focuses on leadership and development, says that most of us, in fact, live in a box of self-deception. That we think we're being honest uh, with ourselves and others, but the reality is unless we're super intentional, unless we're really careful to pay attention to ourselves, we're not. We're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us, if you remember a certain liturgy. And so why is that? Why is it so hard? Like we're the person that we know the best, we know ourselves intimately, and yet why is it so hard to be completely honest with ourselves? Well, psychologists talk about uh, the fact that we have a conscious and an unconscious, and, and that impacts the way we understand ourselves. Dan Harmon summarizes this way. He says, our mind is a home with an upstairs and a downstairs. Upstairs, in your consciousness, things are well lit and regularly swept. Friends come over, Scrabble is played, uh, hot cocoa is brewing. Uh, It's a pleasant, familiar place. But downstairs is older, darker, and much, much freakier. We call this downstairs the basement the unconscious. And the unconscious is exactly what it sounds like. It's all the things that we, that we don't or don't want to or can't think about or face. According to Freud, down here is where there are dirty pictures of your mother. According to Jung, it's where the pipes and the wires and the things that connect your basement to all the other basements are is, is what's downstairs. And even though it's a place uh, of life-sustaining things, the, the fuse box is down there, the water heater is down there, uh, it's primitive, stinky, and scary. And so it's no wonder if we given any choice, we, we don't go down into the basement as much as possible. And yet our pleasure, our sanity... Even our very life depends on making occasional round trips down into the unconscious and back. You have to change the fuses, get out the Christmas ornaments, clean the litter box. And to the extent that we keep the basement door sealed, our entire home becomes unstable. See, there are things hiding down there that we don't want to face, but if we don't face them, if we don't live in honesty with ourselves, the whole edifice becomes unstable, and stuff starts to 
come out of the basement. It starts to seep out in unpredictable ways. You have, you have floods and spiders and, and pests that start to come up to the main floor if you don't make regular trips down to check in with yourself, with your own unconscious. And so what is it for you? What are the things that you know lurk downstairs in your basement that you'd rather not face? Because we've all got them. And so rather than face them, we numb ourselves. We avoid looking down there. And, and, and so we, we, we distract ourselves with, with alcohol or food or porn or Netflix. Whatever it takes so that we don't have to look at the dark, scary things that, about ourselves that we'd rather not admit or, or pay attention to. Because if we pay attention to them, and I'll speak for myself, if we actually probe the depths of our basement, I find things that don't make me feel real good about myself. See, upstairs, I'm a good person. Downstairs, there are things that horrify me about myself. But the good news is, if we're honest with ourselves, if we face the horrifying things, then it actually drives us to this place that David talks about, that that the groaning and and the strength sapping and and the joylessness, it, it forces us to go somewhere that we would never go as long as we were comfortable upstairs. See, it forces us then to take the next step and not just be honest with ourselves, but with God. To then take all of this junk that we'd unearthed, all these things that were in our basement that we didn't want to see the light of day, and we take them and we lay them before God and we wait to see what he does, and and he gives us complete and unconditional acceptance. He takes the worst junk, the, the most horrifying things in our past, the most shameful secrets that we have, he takes all of them and he says, I love you and I accept you anyway. And it doesn't make sense. And that's not just some new touchy-feely New Testament thing. This is what David's describing in Psalm 32. If you keep reading, David says this to God, that, that as he confesses this deep, dark, horrible, awful thing, this is what happens. For God, you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. Hear this. This is not in a moment of triumph for David. It's not David won a big battle and God surrounds him with songs of victory. It's not David made this great choice or lived a noble life and God surrounds him with songs of victory. David brings his worst junk to God and God surrounds me with songs of victory. And a few verses later, he continues, many sorrows come to the wicked, the people who hide their depravity and their junk, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. If we're willing to be brave enough to face our basements, to go into the junk, and, and, and it drives us in despair to God, this is what we get. We condemn ourselves when we face our unconscious. God doesn't. God surrounds us with songs of victory. He surrounds us with unfailing love. This is the promise. This is what you get from God, the creator of the universe. And there's a couple of reasons for this. Just unpack this. And the first one is this. God already knew what was in your basement. You weren't fooling him. It wasn't like he's sitting up in heaven unaware of the things that we do or that's going on in our deepest, darkest recesses. God knew already. All we were doing by hiding it and not being honest with ourselves, it wasn't hiding it from God. It was hiding from us the access to God's love and grace. 
The junk was already there. The junk was already known by God. And what he's been trying to give us since the dawn of time, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God's been trying to give us his unconditional acceptance and grace, but we're so closed off that we can't receive it because we think we're hiding it from him, but we're really just hiding his love from ourselves. The second reason God can respond this way is because through his son, Jesus Christ, he took all of the worst junk that we have, all of our sins, all of our brokenness, all of our shames, he took them all and he heaped them on his son, Jesus Christ, for our sake. And I got to be honest with you, I don't really understand cosmically, uh, theologically, why that works. I don't understand how God can look at us and we're broken and screwed up and he can say, all right, but as long as I kill my son, that'll fix it. Honestly, it's a mystery that I I think is going to be revealed to me hopefully one day in heaven. I don't understand it from God's side. What I can tell you is I do understand this from the human side. I understand why having a God who's been there makes all the difference in the world. And I got another glimpse of that just this week. Uh, A few days ago, my daughter uh, was playing and managed to split her lip open. And she's gushing blood all over the carpet. uh, And she's screaming. uh, And I thought she was screaming in pain. What she was actually screaming was, I don't want stitches. I don't want stitches. I don't want stitches. And I took one look at her lip and I... (laughs) You need stitches. Uh, and, and so we had to take her to the urgent care to get stitches. And, and what was, was interesting was the whole time she kept asking me, Dad, have you ever had to get stitches? And yes, I have. I've split my lip many times. And, and I said, yep, I've, I've been there. And she said, and, and when you got stitches, were you scared? And I said, yes, I was scared. And, she said, and when you got stitches, did it hurt? And I said, yes, it hurt, but it's okay. I got through it. It wasn't a big of a deal. And, and when you got stitches, did it leave a scar? And I said, no, it's right here. Do you see a scar? It's fine. See, she didn't need someone to just tell her objectively it was going to be okay or that she needed to get over it. She needed someone to be able to say, I've been there. I've gotten through it. And that's why you're going to be okay. And this is what we have in our God. We have a God that the worst, most depraved thing that you might find in your basement, that the scariest injustice that, that is in there, you've got a God who says, I've been there. Because that's what Jesus did. He took all of it on himself. And now when we go to God, he's not foreign or alien or distant or unloving. He's someone who has lived in the trenches with us. And he can now surround us with his songs and unfailing love because he is not someone who is, who's never been exposed to any of this before. This is what he gives us. And if God can face our worst things, our deepest fears, our, our worst sins, if God can face those and accept us, then do you see how that can change every interaction that we have with everyone around us? That, that with God's acceptance, suddenly we can be honest, not just with ourselves and with God, but we can now be honest with those around us. See, if God says, I'm okay, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. If God says, I'm in, then nobody else can tell me I'm out. If God says, I've seen the worst of you and it wasn't enough to take you away from my love and acceptance, then, then it, it doesn't have to be enough to take me away from the love and acceptance of others. The Apostle Paul put it this way in a letter that he wrote to one of the early churches. He, he said uh, he was complaining to God about some of his weaknesses, some of the junk from his basement. Uh, but each time God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And so now I am glad, there's that joy word again, to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Boast about my weaknesses. And he says it again. It's so important. He says it twice in a row. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. 
and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so, so hear me. You see this picture of Paul boasting in weaknesses. He's not saying we all have to be like the Kardashians, right, where everything's got to be out there uh, for everybody. But, but what he is saying is that the, the, the things that were so scary can be the thing that, that, that we give to God, receive his acceptance, and now they have not only no fear for us, they have no hold or power over us anymore because God has accepted us in spite of them. They now actually have power to work transformation in the lives of others. The very things that, that were the scariest stuff that we didn't want to face can actually be redeemed and used to bring grace and power and redemption into other people's lives. Let me give you some examples of, of what it could uh, look like to, to share uh, these kinds of things with other people, to live a life of complete honesty with others. You know, maybe, it, maybe it's not sin. Again, we, we, we hear confession language and we think it's only sin, but, but maybe, it's, maybe it's trauma. Maybe it's past abuse that you received and that for so long stayed locked away because, because it made you think that you were, were, were lacking value and worth. And that if you told people the reality of stuff that had happened to you in your past, they would reject you too. They wouldn't protect you the same way people didn't protect you when you went through it. But if you're honest about it with others, and then suddenly people can see that, that, that you've gotten through it. And then the stuff that they were keeping secret, the past traumas that they were hiding can suddenly be something that they bring to light. And they get freedom and set free from, from this thing that had been chaining them for so long. Or, or maybe it's, it's even something uh, more positive. Maybe it's, it's dreams. Maybe it's the way that you've always wanted your life to be and you've settled for less things, but, but always in the back of your mind, in your deepest heart, down there is the regret that goes with not pursuing the, the greater things that God put on your heart to pursue, the way he designed you to be. And maybe by sharing that dream with people around you, they can be set fire with their own passions and maybe they can even come alongside you and help you to live the dreams and the inspiration that, that you have. Or maybe it looks like this. Here's one of the, the sad things that I have access to as, as one of your pastors is that I know this. I know how many people in our congregation are going through cancer right now. And as I receive those prayer requests, they say, please pray for me as I go through cancer. But then the second thing they say is, but please don't tell anybody. And it breaks my heart because they're, they're condemning themselves to trying to go through this hard, awful, terrible thing by themselves or, or with just a very tiny group of family. And, and I know that we have a group here called Cancer Companions that is filled with some of the, the kindest, most loving, wise, battle-tested warriors that we have in this congregation. They've been through the worst junk of cancer. They know all of the, of the grossness and, and the undignified things that you have when you have to go through chemo and radiation and all that stuff. They've been there, they've lived it, and, and they want nothing more than to walk alongside people who are struggling and hurting and afraid. And yet we can't take advantage of that. We can't reach out to that because we, we don't want to live honestly in front of other people. We want to keep everything inside. Or what about our relationships with the people that are the most important to us in our lives, our, our closest friends, our spouses, our parents, or our children? And, and, and we get trapped in these dynamics where we're just we're arguing and we're fighting. And again, you can't concede. You can't admit that you did anything wrong. You can't confess a truth because then they'll have the high ground. But what if in that moment of arguing, you could live honestly with them and say, you know what? I'm just honestly really scared you're going to break up with me over this. Uh, 
I know we're mad at each other. All I want right now is a hug from you. And that would fix everything. We're arguing about the dog. I just need a hug. And, and if we could express that vulnerability, if we could take the time to say to someone, I'm so scared that this is the thing that, that we can't get over, that we can't get past, that this is the final straw that's going to break the camel's back and make you leave me. We don't ever say those things. But what if we did? What if we trusted that if, if God accepts us, we don't have to fear that someone else might reject us? Because even if they do, we've got the belonging and the surrounding of God's love that we could risk even that level of honesty. And what I suspect, I can't promise, but I suspect is that most people around you are broken, hurting people too. And if you confess something honest and vulnerable, they're not going to respond with shame and rejection but you're going to actually see new life, new depths of trust and connection and belonging that you never would have seen before. See, what's the secret that we're talking about? The, the, the secrecy that we think uh, or that is causing us a lack of joy? This is the opposite. This is what David means by complete honesty with ourselves, with God, and with others. It's being vulnerable And I'm not going to lie, this is the hardest thing I know of. It's the hardest thing I know how to do. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to face. Being vulnerable is hard. But you know what's harder is living a life of self-hatred and secret loathing. Because you never face your junk and so you let it have power over you. Being vulnerable is hard. But you know what's harder uh, is living a life where you are manipulated by the very worst parts of yourself. In Psalm 32, David says, if you don't do this, if you don't live a life of, of complete honesty and vulnerability, then you become like a senseless donkey that's just led by a rope around your neck. Because the people who are integrated, the people who are aware, they can manipulate and use you because they'll just push on your worst buttons, they'll manipulate your worst demons, and they will make you do what they want you to do. You'll lose agency over your life if you're not vulnerable. Being vulnerable is hard, but what's harder is going through a life without access to the grace of God, either because you don't think you need it, because you pretend that you live only upstairs and so I don't need anything from God or you lose the grace of God because you think you don't deserve it because you live only in the basement and you think that there is nothing in you that is valuable and lovable and you lose out on the grace of God. Being vulnerable is hard, but what's harder is never having access to joy for your life. Brene Brown is a sociologist and researcher, and she says, here's what she's learned in all of her decades of study, which is this, that we cannot selectively numb our feelings. We either numb all of them or we numb none of them. And so when we're faced with feelings like guilt and shame and fear and anger, we numb those. We, 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 we shove them back down into the basement. But along with them, then, we also numb joy and love and belonging and creativity. It's an all-or-nothing package deal. It's hard to be vulnerable, but it's the only way to get access back to the full range of emotions that we need to get through this life. The negative ones, yes, but also joy and love and belonging and creativity. Vulnerability is the key to all of this stuff, and it is hard. But I really do believe it's the key and the secret to joy. And I'll give you one example from my own life. May through October of 2015 was the hardest uh, period uh, in probably my adult life. 
It was a time where my wife and I had been very personally betrayed. Uh, it had forced us to reevaluate our entire career options, our friendships. Uh, ultimately, it forced us to, with very little warning, sell our house, pack up everything, leave family, uh, both sides of family, friends, trusted ones, and, and move to St. Louis where we knew nobody. Uh, it was a time of soul-searching and fear and, and furor and chaos. And for those five months, there was only one thing that was posted on my Facebook feed that entire time. It was this picture right here. We went to a pentatonics concert in Denver. And it sure looks like we're having a great time, doesn't it? But what it doesn't show is that, is that Mia was sick that day. In fact, we left the concert early because she was feeling so bad. It doesn't share that we, that we were, in fact, heartbroken and despairing, not knowing who we could trust. And as I look back on that, I would have told you at the time that our lack of joy was from all of these bad things that went on. But what I see now is that that wasn't the cause of joy. It was that we had no one that we felt we could truly be vulnerable with. But they were there. There were people around us who wanted to love us and be safe places for us. There was a God who did ultimately work that, even that bad season for greater good to the point where we love where our lives have led us to this day. I've seen firsthand now that there are things that I I kept locked to myself. I didn't dare to share with coworkers uh, and friends because it was going to be another way that they rejected me or it was going to be the thing that finally said that I was unlovable. And what I've found is joy has come back. What I found is for the first time in a long time, my wife and I were able to look around our lives and say, this is the good time. Yeah, I had to take my daughter to the urgent care at 8 o'clock at night when I wasn't expecting it. Uh, yeah, these, these things come up, but, but we're living lives of vulnerability with each other, with the people around us, and now joy has come back in spite of the circumstances, in spite of all those things, we have joy again. It's been an amazing ride for me, and it's one that I would love for each and every one of you today. Do you want relief from pain? Do you want forgiveness and acceptance in spite of the worst parts of yourself? Do you want freedom from your past or from even your present and where you're heading? Then turn yourself in. Be vulnerable and open with yourself, with God, with the people that God has placed in your life. And I promise you, true joy is waiting on the other side. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord God, I am in awe that when you saw our brokenness, you you didn't solve it uh, with, with new rules and new checklists and new ways that we needed to be better. You solved it by saying, just give it to me. You poor broken human beings, give me the worst of yourselves and I will make something new out of it. And I will love you in spite of it. And I will unleash the full range of good emotions, joy and peace and harmony. I will give it all to you. And so, Lord, I ask right now that your Holy Spirit would be on this place. That you would take whatever fear is keeping people from going into their basement, from seeing what it is that they don't want to face, and you would remove it that you would replace fear with confidence that comes from being loved by your son, Jesus Christ, being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and you would help us to release that thing to you and get joy in return. Amen.